Hi, my name is Yasmin, and welcome to Heart to Heart, a podcast by my mission-driven enterprise, Pause. Healing, mindfulness, and awareness lie at the core of what we do. In this podcast, I sit down with compassionate individuals to discuss mindful, loving, and reflective ways to help you live a healthier life while improving your relationships. Pause is paving a new pathway to cultivate self-awareness for individuals to embody their highest potential through love. Take a deep breath. Shindo, thank you so Hi. much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Shindo, um, I have benefited so much from, from your work and um, to have you here today feels like I've come full circle. <laughs> to have you here to speak with you and um, to have you share your um, your journey and your take on mindfulness and healing as um, that is what we do at pause mm -hmm. and um, yeah I'm just so excited to have you here and um, if you could please share a little bit about yourself to the audience if you just a little bit if you don't mind of course. So um, my name's Shundo. That's my Buddhist name. Uh, my original name is David, which is not a name I ever really liked. So I was happy to take on my Buddhist name. Um, I grew up in England. I lived in England till I was 35. And I had a pretty nice life. I, I was doing a lot of things that I wanted to do. I had a good job, a nice apartment, lots of friends, lots of interests. London was a great city. You know, it was a good life. But there always felt like there was something missing. Um, and I was determined to live an authentic life. Um, that was kind of my, my kind of personal thing. Um, and I wasn't, I was never quite sure what that looked like, but I was always kind of navigating that from, you know, adolescence onwards, definitely. And I knew a few Buddhists in England, um, you know, because of the colonial past, a lot of, you know, transmission came from India and other former colonies. So, you know, Buddhism is not unknown in England. Um, but it was it was never really kind of that that close to, to what I was doing. And then I was traveling and I met someone in San Francisco who lived at the San Francisco Zen Center. Um, and suddenly he's like, oh, you know, this is this is a whole amazing opportunity. And when I started reading books about Zen, um, specifically, I want to mention the book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Shinryu Suzuki, who founded the San Francisco Zen Center. It made sense to me on this level that I didn't really understand, like I didn't really, really understand intellectually what he was talking about, but it's made, made sense to me in, in what I was looking for in my life. And so I was very motivated to start practicing Zen, um, which I did starting a little more than 20 years ago, I started meditating and, um, and I lived at the Zen center. And then I moved to the monastery, which is the first Zen monastery outside of Asia that was founded in the late 1960s. Um, and I did that kind of residential practice for about 15 years. You know, I thought maybe I'd do it for six months and I just found it was, it worked for me and it was causing a, a big transformation in my life. Um, so I really wanted to kind of take the journey as, as far as I could in that way, um, because I could feel the benefits of meditation and the benefits of the practice. 
So then I ordained as a Zen priest and now I'm out teaching and helping people wherever I can or however I can. You know, when you said authentic life, um, I think that was part of my journey as well. You know, when I, when I first um, started my journey, I remember saying to a trusted friend, I just, just like you, I didn't really understand what it, what it looked like, what authenticity looked like, but I knew that I wanted something that looked a bit different than what I was living at the time. And this was not that long ago, I think it was well, maybe four or five years ago. And, you know, until today, when I hear the word authentic, authentic in, in relation to life, it sometimes I still wonder like, okay, so you know, all of us envision something different, right, about our lives. Each of us has a different take on what authenticity means to us. And, you know, for me, it has, yeah, you know, the past few years has been about finding what or discovering what that looks like for me, living an authentic life. Mm-hmm. Um you know what does what does authenticity what does an authentic life feel like to me that is it calmness is it you know do i feel calm when i'm living authentically you know and things like that um so maybe we can unpack that a little bit you know for the audience like okay but first of all let me just connect something to my computer so just hold that thought I need to adjust something here okay um yeah so just unpack authentic life just a little bit for everyone Mm. yeah i think everyone must have their own idea of what that looks like because I, i can't tell you what your authentic life is and you can't tell me what my authentic life is it's 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 an internal request and for me, I think what that looked like is, you know, there are, there are certain parts of English culture that are pretty rigid. Um, and that, you know, when I looked around me, I, I saw people and I think my parents, you know, probably as much as anything, who weren't necessarily very happy with what they were doing, they were working hard and, you know, like, here's what we're supposed to do, here's what we're, you know, we're expected to do. And they didn't seem to be very happy. And I think, you know, when I, when I started doing this to say, I was, I guess, a teenager, um, self-expression was important. You know, there wasn't a lot of room for it, for me to express myself in my family, you know, very kind of like, okay, you're going to keep quiet there. But, you know, I had a lot that I wanted to say, a lot that I felt. Um, and so for me, that started looking like creativity. So I was writing, taking photographs, playing music, none of which I was especially good at, but just being able to do those things and being able to do them on my own terms, you know, that, I, I could take photographs or I could write a diary, write a journal, play in a band. You know, those are all things that made me feel like, oh, this is, this is you know, kind of aligning with something inside. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with emotional expression, you know, just getting to express emotions in ways that 
English culture really doesn't necessarily allow for very much. Um, you know, as, as an English male, you know, you're not expected to be emotional, you're not expected to be sensitive, you're not expected to cry or whatever, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, cultural stuff that happens, which you grew up with, and you know, you can accept it or think, no, this doesn't work for me. Um, so just a, you know, a continual inquiry like that. Um, and I'm, I've always been a very active person. So it also meant for me, like kind of running and riding a bicycle and just like being very energetic and, and doing things. So uh, having a life that allowed me to do that, you know, as, as much as I could on the weekends and my time off, you know, that was also important to me. I didn't want to spend, you know, 80 hours a week working if I, if I couldn't like go out and, you know, ride my bike or run or just, just be expressive or just get to do the other things I enjoyed doing. So I structured my life in a way that, you know, obviously I had nice jobs, I had a good career, but I wasn't just like a slave to that. I wanted to make sure that I had time to develop myself as a person as well. Oh, I loved everything you said there um, regarding self-expression and um, finding your emotional or rather expressing yourself um, emotionally more or in a way that you wanted and how creativity um, was part of that, you know, getting be more creative, um, expressing yourself through your creative um, uh, endeavors and and how you felt a lot you know you felt um, a lot and and I think that speaks to a lot of people um, in our cultures in, in many cultures we are not we are not we are discouraged from 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 expressing um, certain feelings um in and then you know there are layers to that as well when we talk about social cultures um versus you know we, we have social cultures and then we have like you know the regional cultures you know um like for example what i mean by social i mean for men where you know men are not as you have like as you have said some things you you are socially discouraged from expressing and then for women um there are layers to that as well. And so, yeah, I think um, that speaks to a lot of people. And, you know, when you mentioned how you saw the unhappiness in your parents growing up and how that impacted you, in, impacted you in a way. And, and I think that speaks to me, right? Um, I saw how hard my parents were working I saw how hard my dad was working and yeah both my parents um they 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 worked a lot in my early years you know I was with my grandparents a lot and really that boils down to the busyness of life mm -hmm. and how everything is such a you know we rush a lot and we rush through our day and um and that impacts um, the people around you, your loved ones and, and, and things. It impacts you first and foremost, but also it impacts the relationships that you have. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, pause was created with that in mind. So, you know, it's like a reminder um, to just check in with yourself, just pause, you know, from, from time to time, a minute or two, if you have the capacity longer, but 
the, the idea is to just check in with yourself from time to time because we are really rushing through life and are we happy doing that mm-hmm. we have these social there are social expectations to do and do and do but and we do them and then we get kind of like the 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 physical um satisfactions in life right we but you know we we earn enough to get a house for example or we earn enough to get a, that car that we like but and of course you know there are really real things that we need in life like food on the table security healthcare, and things and that's why we work but um there are also other aspects of life that we don't often think about which is our happiness our um you know a meaningful life are we spending enough time with you know doing things we like or with the people that we love um and so for me my mindfulness journey has been really about that it's been about just connecting with myself a little more because I grew up not knowing who I was Mm -hmm. I grew up not knowing my likes and dislikes and I remember in my early 20s I was just like a yes girl you know I was like yes okay let's do that let's do that let's do that and I changed my university degree like two three times because I had no idea what I was doing um and I think that speaks to a lot again a lot of people like we don't really um we don't understand who we are and we don't understand what we what you know we grapple with these questions and it might um, impact our well-being our happiness um so at least for me that was the case and I remember at 26 I you know I saw I saw I saw a friend and I'm like at that time being a mother was something that I really wanted so a good mother so I remember you know, I was like, okay, I have issues. <laughs> I have issues, but I do want to be a good mother one day. So I need to sort my myself out. <laughs> I remember having that kind of narrative in my head and, or rather that kind of desire. And, you know, and then I went on my journey. I was like, okay, I need to heal whatever is bothering me, whatever is I need to heal whatever is impacting my relationships, my significant relationships in life. And so, yeah, like, you know, just, I got on that journey because I wanted to be more, um, to love myself more so that I can, show up for myself better in my significant relationships present and future um yeah and so that's 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 a radical thing you've just said because that's not what we're encouraged to do is it to love ourselves and take care of ourselves you know when we're, we're told who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do but we're not encouraged to do the kind of work that allows us to love ourselves And even just saying love yourself that's you know there's there's a part of me that's you know that's still the english parts like oh we can't do that no 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 that's not right <laughs> you know and it's 
it, it's funny i can still hear those voices you know like no 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 you're not supposed to do that no 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 mm. um and it's like you know it, it's it's work to kind of to prize all those things open yeah I... and meditation and mindfulness is a wonderful way to do that work yeah I mean, you, you said it, like, even, you know, even in our, in our work, when I, when we talk about loving yourself, it's, I'm pretty sure it, it kind of sits with people like a bit funny, like, I'm pretty sure it kind of, you know, a few questions would arise, like, what do you mean love myself? Like, don't I? Or does that really change anything? You know, we, I'm sure all those questions will arise. Um, and I love that you, that you, that you said that because I, I, th I think that's vulnerable, right? To, to admit that oh, there's still some parts of me that sometimes like goes, oh gosh, you know, why would, why would I want to do that? <laughs> Like, you know, when, I, when I've been in a bad way, sometimes and my friends say, are you taking care of yourself? And it's like, well, yeah, I'm eating, I'm, you know, I'm getting some exercise and, you know, I think so. But there's, I know there's other parts of me that I, you know, don't necessarily know how to take care of myself. You know, like, do I know how to take care of my own heart when it's, when it's in trouble, you know? And, you know, like, how do, how do we develop those kind of good habits? That's, uh, you know, that's, that's a lifelong, lifelong journey, definitely. Absolutely. And meeting, meeting those needs, um, learning how to meet those needs um, in ourselves, all of us, we, you know, our needs differ from one person to another. Um, it does take practice, as you've mentioned, uh, mindfulness, meditation, we learned what we need at a very micro level at a very cell level um over time when we you know take the time to get to know ourselves and to practice what works and what doesn't work for us to i i, I think the more you practice things like mindfulness and meditation the more layers you kind of like go under and we are very layered humans right I'm, i don't know i'm not do you still discover little little things from time to time um even though you've been in this you know you've been practicing for so long it, it's often the same things that kind of come up again you know like the things you think oh i've got a handle on this and then you know i mean for, for me anger and irritation is is a big one because that's that's the atmosphere that I grew up in. That's the kind of training I had. Like, it's okay to be angry at stuff because, you know, you're a, you're a strong white man. You can be angry at whatever you like, you know. Um, and my dad was irritated with just about everything in the world. So, you know, I got to see how that expression was. And, you know, I've done a lot of work not to be irritated by things and spent, you know, like, okay, take a deep breath. Don't have to express that. And still, still it comes up, still it comes up. Um, so, yeah, there's 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 yeah there are so many layers and so many kind of deep deep hidden hidden habits in there that that just rear their heads sometimes and you know it's it's, it's an ongoing practice and you know for me the the nub the 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 heart of it is 
you feel the thing coming up. So for me, let's just say anger. Like I feel the anger coming up. It's like, oh, there it is. Let's not do that. Let's see if we can respond differently rather than just reacting from that place. Doesn't always work, you know, really doesn't work. If I'm out on my bike and a driver cuts me up, I shout at them, you know. Um, but other times, like, I'm like I, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Let's do something different. So it's, it's you know, you learn these things, you you kind of uncover them and you have revelations. And that's that's amazing in itself. Like, oh, I'm the kind of person that gets angry a lot. Oh, that's really good to know. And, you know, our usual things like, oh, I shouldn't do that. Shouldn't be that, you know, and then you beat yourself up because you think it's a bad thing. And, mm. you know, and there are so many layers like, okay, accept that that's a part of you, accept that it comes up sometimes. And then over time, and this is, you know, where the, you know, meditation and mindfulness as a lifelong practice comes in, you mm. start to embody the ways you want to be more completely. You know, and this this is why I spent 15 years at the Zen Center because you know I I I went when I went away after a few years and discovered I was back in my old dynamics really quickly. And it's like okay, well I thought I was learning something and I don't think I have learned it yet. You know, I don't think I've completely learned it. So I think I need to go back and do a little bit more of this. And then eventually, you know, you think oh I think I've kind of embodied that lesson and that manifestation of how how I want to be a little better. You know, so you understand it and then it really has to kind of go right down in there and get digested so that you can bring it out in in your life day to day more consistently not perfectly but more consistently absolutely so two things um i think we have you know mentioned several times today about our upbringing or rather our upbringing and also our childhood experiences and the things that were modeled um uh what looked acceptable what did not look acceptable um for you it was you know that kind of you know anger was an acceptable emotion and being expressing that expressing irritation was an acceptable thing to do and i think in my in my life um what was acceptable to express was yeah a bit of anger as well um and uh i i would say i remember calling myself you know to my friends um the angry child cuz you know even as a yeah i i I found anger easy to express, and when I was going through a tough time in my early twenties, I did. You know, I was aggressive. I was aggressive, and and um, that was modeled a lot in my, you know, when I was younger. I think the norm was, um, was that that, you know, just just yell if you're upset or just, um, and there was no in between. There was really no in between. There was no, um, yeah. I didn't. I didn't see much of. Okay, let's take a deep breath. Or I didn't see much of. All right. So how do we solve this? You know, there's not much of that. But there was really, um, you know, in a lot of cultures, in a lot of family dynamics, that is the the acceptable way of expressing yourself. And so, yeah, it goes. It 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 often goes back to what you were modeled when you were younger. Mm -hmm. And so 
and so that's always interesting you know when I um you know the more I learn about our you know how our brain works and and how our mind works and the things that we do as adults or what we are what we're used to doing what we allow ourselves to do as adults I would say it goes back a lot to what we learned growing up and that's not to say we blame um, the care the caretakers in our lives well our caretakers but it's more of how can we kind of break that cycle so the future generation can you know better respond to the the things in life the difficult things in life so yeah absolutely because it's i think it's very common that if you grow up in that environment and you don't question it then that's what you bring bring forward and that's what you hand down and it's that can be a very you know toxic legacy that that gets passed down over generations um so i think any <clears throat> anyone who undertakes this journey you know, they're, they're doing not just themselves a favor or their friends a favor, but they're doing, as you say, like, you know, the people to come and, you know, our descendants a favor too, because mm-hmm. anytime we can reduce suffering, you know, that we don't know what the impact of that's going to be. You know, it could be a huge impact. I mean, you know, I had no idea I was, I was reaching you in Malaysia when I was doing those recordings for <laughs> Simple Habit. You know, it's just like, you, you know, I'm, I'm here to help and you don't know how that help is going to be. You just put it out there and hopefully it resonates and ripples outwards. Yeah. I love how you said reduce suffering. I think an interview I had a couple of weeks ago, you know, the same kind of language was used. Reduce a person's suffering. And for some reason, that language resonates with me a lot. And you know, growing up, I didn't know I was suffering. <laughs> I had no idea. I just knew I was kind of anxious a lot, thinking a lot in my own head a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, to the point where my my teacher uh, called my parents and said, "Yasmin is daydreaming a lot in class. She's not here. Um, she's just yeah. She looks like she's just like staring. You know, she's like, oh, what is she thinking? You know, because she's not paying attention." So growing up, I really didn't think I was suffering. Um, but as a young adult, um, in my mid-20s, when I found the language that described what I was feeling, what I was experiencing, it liberated me. I was able to articulate what I was experiencing, what I experienced. And people need that, you know? And as you said, you know, do things. You you know, you, you had no idea your work resonated with me, uh, you know, all the way in Malaysia, right? Um, a girl from Malaysia discovered your recording out of the thousands and thousands on Simple Habit. So yeah, like that, your work will resonate um, with the right people, with anyone who needs to hear it. And um yeah, small scale, you know, it can be as small as, it doesn't matter really, as long as it works. And it's, and as you said, it's a ripple effect. 
but yeah, yeah. One, one time one time i was offering a, a meditation class to a group of uh, i guess they're sixth graders in the state so like 10 11 year olds and we ended up talking about loving kindness meditation and one of the girls put up her hand and said well why, why did we do that why, why would we want to kind of put out loving kindness into the world and i said well just imagine you leave the classroom and you see somebody in the hallway and you smile at them how do you think they'll feel? And it's like, well, they'll probably feel good. It's like, yeah, and maybe because they feel good, maybe they'll go and do something nice for somebody else. So it's just like, we just don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it, it's so true what you said, because I didn't think I was suffering. I thought I had a pretty nice life. You know, I had a very comfortable life in London. And somehow, like, once once I sat down, it's like, you get to unpack what's underneath, you know, the kind of, yeah, everything's good. Everything's fine. You know, people say, are you okay? It's not, I'm okay. Yeah. But actually like, what is going on in there? You know, and you don't, because we're so busy, we don't take the time to check. And then there's this kind of misalignment for us between, you know, yeah, we're out in the world, busy doing things, creating things, achieving things, you know, checking off things from our bucket list or whatever, you know, I traveled a lot, I had a lot of great experiences. But you know, what's what's your inmost request deep down there? Do you have do you have a sense of what your inmost request is? And you say, I think, although we all have individual circumstances, we all grew up in our different families and different cultures, you know, we're all human beings. And I think for me, the interesting thing about Buddhism is that, you know, the Buddha was an Indian prince who was alive two and a half thousand years ago. But the things he taught about suffering and how to stop suffering are entirely relevant now. Like, I don't think anyone's come up with a better idea, frankly. Um, And I think that just speaks to, it's what it means to be a human, what it means to be a human being and the wisdom that has actually been passed down from generations and generations across cultures it's like it's there and this is this is what kind of struck me when i when i read my first zen book it's like oh i don't have to figure this all out for myself somebody's already done it and there's a whole system in place that you can you can practice to uh to kind of you know help yourself along the way you don't have to figure it all out for yourself so yeah i love what you said about your what is your inmost request mm-hmm. you know and yeah we we go through life so quickly and and we don't pause for anything um because that's an acceptable thing to do we tire ourselves out but i remember as a as a young adult as as a teenager I think I was craving self-love so much that obviously at the time I had no idea what that was or what that what what that felt like. But I remember as a as a you know a 25-year-old, I'm like, what is missing? Like, mm-hmm. what am I what 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 is it? What what's this thing that I'm just not getting? And I mm-hmm. thought it was this external thing, but actually it was this a massive part of me was just like, love yourself, girl. Mm-hmm. You need to love yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, ooh, it, it was a big, big, there was a big gap there. <laughs> there was a mm-hmm. big, big gap there, yeah. And that was my innermost um, request you know, mm-hmm. and um, 
I guess through pause, I try to, I want to remind people of, of that, of, you know, this love yourself a little more. I know, as you said, it is quite a, quite a radical um, thing to say, but you know, the things that I went through as a young, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a 20 year old was quite, was quite challenging. And to learn that it was just a lack of self-love that, that kind of led me down those, those roads was quite mind-blowing. And, 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 you know, I was, I suddenly, I was so eager to kind of tell the, the, the whole world, like, guys this is so important you really need to 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 tap into your own kind of inner knowing and you know that part of you that actually takes care of you like takes care of your needs and that kind of knocks on 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 your consciousness and goes hello you know you gotta take care of yourself today or you need this today or or you don't need that you know um that person is not right for you or that situation is not right for you. I think that was one of the main things I learned, what was not good for me. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of young people need to hear, need to learn that because, you know, as we find ourselves in situations that are, that might be a bit difficult to navigate, we need to know, we need to be able to discern what works for us or what's good for us and what doesn't yeah peer pressure is very very challenging very it can be very damaging you know um if you're just giving in to you know what your friends want what the culture expects you know again you're you're not taking care of yourself necessarily you know and it's really good to to pay attention to those kind of feelings you know in england you know there's a huge culture of drinking and it, it's interesting in some ways because drinking is the only if you're drinking it's the only time it's acceptable to express emotions you know it's it's such a, an interesting i often say that english people drink instead of going to therapy you know and and yet you know it did it never never really worked for me i hated drinking as much as my friends did and i had to learn to say actually i'm going to go home now you know i'm having a lovely time but it's really nice to see you and chat with you but i'm gonna go home you know i don't need to do any more of this i'm like no come on come on do it have a, let's go to this other bar and it's like no nope, thank you i don't want to do that you know i'm gonna go home and that was like finally you know st- sticking up for myself and saying you know i need to take care of myself this is what i want to do mm-hmm. you know if my friends are like hey let's let's go and do some drugs it's like actually i think i want to go for a run tomorrow and if i take the drugs now i'm not going to want to go for a run tomorrow so i think i'm just going to do my thing thank you you know but just having having the you know the internal courage to say that and not like oh my friends are doing all the cool stuff i don't want to miss out on that and especially now with social media like oh my friends are doing all this they're doing that i have to do this too like you don't you don't have to do what what is expected of you necessarily you can make your own choices and in order to make good choices, you know, and this is where the reducing suffering starts, because, you know, it's, it's the baseline, like, is what you're doing reducing suffering for yourself or for others? You know, that's, that's the only question we really need to ask. It's not a question like, is this good? Or is this bad? It's like, is yeah. this causing suffering? Or is it reducing suffering? And again, for yourself, for others, for the wider world, you know, that's, that's the criterion we can use. Absolutely. Yes, there's no right or wrong um i mean of course that 
there's this uh, it's a very personal thing you know it's about what it's your limits it's knowing your limits and what feels good to you and that was why at the beginning I was like it was really it's really about creating a life that feels good for you and we often don't sit down with ourselves to find out what that feels like or what what that looks like or what do we need more in our lives to make it feel better you know and so for me I I, I struggled and I grappled with that um what do I enjoy doing you know what do I and I still do you know wonder um what are my interests you know from time to time and what can I inject more into my life to make my life kind of you know so that when I wake up I'm happy or when I wake up I'm like oh this is the life I I want and um and it's hard you know Shundo like uh, what you what you just talked about about seeing saying no, mm-hmm. saying no to social, you know, saying no to, you know, when everyone is saying yes, basically, mm-hmm. that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And say so maybe it's your friends or maybe it's just, you know, the wider society and consumerism. It's like, well, you have to have this, you know, you have to have this new phone, you know, you have to have it. And it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> and I was lucky that I was living at the monastery when, you know, um, the iPhone came out because, you know, I missed the kind of initial waves of that. And then when I came out, it's like, do I want one of these things? Like, and everyone's going, oh, they're great. They're amazing. It's like, but I, I came into it very, very slowly and, and kind of a little more mindfully because like, well, I managed to live very well without one. And, you know, in the monastery, you don't get any news and like, that's not a problem. <laughs> you know, it's great, not, <laughs> yeah. great not to listen, read the news for four months, you know, <laughs> and really, and nothing changes. Like if you pick up a newspaper, I, I literally didn't pick up a newspaper for four months and then when I did pick up a newspaper again, it's like, oh, same old stories. Okay, there we go. You know, and just taking that step back, you realize you can get caught up in it very easily. But any time I go away for a weekend where I don't have internet access or, you know, for a week where I'm not looking at news, you know, you come back and it's like, oh, yeah, do I really need to be so engaged in that? And then then it just kind of, you know, the momentum picks up again and you do. But, you know, it's, it's really good to experience those times where you can, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this next week. I'm going to go back and spend a few days at the monastery while they're on a break just to, you know, go and see the place. And it's like, great, no internet for five days. How nice, you know, just, just to have that experience again. And everyone should, you know, because when I've, you know, been, been away for weekends and, you know, I say to people after two days, are you missing your phones? And no one is missing their phones. Nobody, nobody, you know, if, if you actually give them a reason to put them down say, sorry, you can't, you can't do anything with your phone except take a picture or use it as an alarm clock nobody misses anything really very quickly it's it, it just kind of like sloughs away so that's that's always a great remembering that we can do you know i grew up absorbing a lot of things and um if people said yes i'd be like okay that's fine um so i kind of you know me i i, I meet my judgment or i judged by looking at what on how by looking at how other people judged so if something if someone said okay that's okay I'm like okay that's okay someone said no that's not okay I would oh no that's not okay so that was how I kind of grew up and you know when I hit when I started becoming a little wiser I guess when I started developing my own um 
you know, learned how to make my own decisions, I, I, I realized there were a lot of things I wanted to say no to. Um, like you said, saying no to consumerism, saying no to capitalism, <laughs> saying no to the nine to five, saying no to that, that hustle, right? I mean, yes, of course, I believe in working passionately about what you love, but I just don't believe in, or, or rather, I don't want to um, stress myself out and not have and not enjoy my life doing something I don't necessarily doing something that was hurting me you know hurt and by hurting I don't mean like they're abusing me physically but you know some work places can be very toxic they can be very bullying and they can you know they don't think about your well-being um mm. So, and, and I felt like, to be honest with you, I felt like an alien, you know, having these kind of um, thoughts. I thought, why can't I get it right? Why can't I fit in? Why can't I be like everyone else? I really struggled, you know, with, with these, um, you know, with these, with, this, with these kinds of thoughts. So, yeah, so it's not easy um, going against the green, I think. Um, you know, talking to you now makes me feel normal. <laughs> makes me feel normal. And I think the more you, and I think a lot of people are, you know, have these thoughts as well. It's just, you know, finding your, finding your people, I guess, or. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was very lucky because I moved into the Zen center. And so you're in a residential community where, you know, it, it, it's funny. And, and people say this a lot, like you don't necessarily like everybody that you're with, but you appreciate them because everyone's, has the same motivation everyone's wanting the same thing and especially when you go to the monastery and it's very strict and you have to you know you have to be very motivated to be there and to stay there you know some people will still rub you up the wrong way because that's just you know how humans are but there's there's a, a bond that happens you know when you're doing that kind of thing and it's it's very powerful um and you know there's also people from you know many different ages you know i had friends from 8 to 80 when i was living at the zen center and that's that's a really great thing to do when you know our society is so atomized otherwise you know and we're so kind of maybe we're thrust into age groups or like particular cohorts and maybe we feel very very isolated even in the middle of a city so having that sense of community is very powerful and you know this is one of the ways we're suffering through the pandemic that we don't have that you know the in person you know, community opportunities that we're used to having. And, you know, we're social animals, you know, even though people think, oh, I'm an independent person, I'm, I can manage all by myself. We're not, we're social animals. We, you know, we're, we're designed as so much, you know, I, I really, I'm always interested in some of the neuroscience, which like, you know, we respond to people, we respond to people's energy, you know, there's connection that can happen. And we might not even be aware that it's happening, but, you know, just eye contact, you know, mirroring people's movements, all, all that kind of stuff. It's all incredibly powerful. And we mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. necessarily pay a lot of attention to it. But when we, when, when we don't have it, you know, we're suffering. We're suffering from that lack of, of socialization and social, you know, the, the connections that we get. And, you know, the intimacy, this is, this is a word that comes up in, in Zen a lot, you know, the intimacy of the practice, you know, you're mm-hmm. doing so many things. 
no you know people if you say intimacy people think oh like hugging and kissing and and you know sexual and sexual activity and stuff intimacy isn't like that intimacy is just like being open-hearted you know and that's a powerful thing that we can do and it does it, you, you know if we if we're doing it right if we're doing it with the right people it doesn't hurt us it doesn't hurt anybody you know there's just that kind of openness and as you as we talked about earlier vulnerability um it's very powerful and when we all need it we all need to be able to express it as well i think i love i love that you know when when you mentioned wanting the same thing and you know when you said that i actually had in mind the concept of mirroring and i myself i enjoy studying the neuroscience aspect of things um i you know, I went through, I did a course and it was, um, it touched a little, a little bit about, on a little bit about um, neuroscience and how our brain, our, our system really, like whatever's inside of us, how it kind of, how it functions when we love, when we touch, when we interact with another human being. And I loved learning about the biological aspect of things or the physiological aspect of things and how, you know, this hormone kind of, you know, whatever hormones they increase when you, when you hug someone, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's real. It actually happens in, in our systems when we, when we interact with um, each other. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it improves certain things in your brain. It kind of, um, it, there is a very cellular level. It does affect you at a cellular level. And I think that is what people need. People need to understand that, that there's, you know, mm -hmm. it's not a, it's actually, we were made to love and we were made to be in connection with one another. And that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I think I, I definitely agree with everything you said. There's a book that, kind of spelled this out for me that I read when I first started practicing actually called a general theory of love. Um, it's a little bit old now, but um, it's a really good book. And it talks about the brains and the thing to remember about human beings, we have three different brains. And this is this is part of our problem. So right down at the back, you got the lizard brain, which is the really primitive one that just like startles and you know, it's all about fight or flight. And then we got the limbic brain, which is the mammal brain, which is what you're talking about, which responds to connection, which you know, cultivates all those hormones and things like that and you know that's 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 a, the kind of nice part of it. then we've got this rational brain at the front and that's where most of our problems come from you know because the rational brain is sitting there trying to solve all our problems for us because evolution designed us to do that and all it's doing is like taking in all this information well that's good that's bad that's good no no none of that and then it's just talking to us all day long all night long you know it's just talking 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 and it's really bossy and we listen way too much to it and so this is you know that that's a great thing to understand right off the bat like this you know if if you're worried about or wondering about why you do all these different things it's like which brain is actually getting activated here mm. you know and which which one are you listening to you know most of us listen to these and this is this is all about the loving ourselves part which brain are we if we're listening to this voice that's saying oh but so and so said you shouldn't do that or like we've internalized this, these voices say you're a bad person you're an angry person you know and, and we know that you know we, all of us have critical voices in our heads and we listen to them so much and then when we meditate maybe they get even louder 
And this is something that people say like, oh yeah, I started meditating and suddenly I feel like I'm a really bad person because I have all these thoughts. And it's like, yeah, of course you do. Like the voice, is, the voice in your head is just filling the space. You know, like something, the brain wants to fill that space because there's nothing new happening. There's no new stimulus. So it's like, oh, critical voice. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll say something. You're giving it a megaphone to kind of like amplify all those messages. Mm-hmm. But then you get to sit there and say, is this true? Is this really true? Yeah. Maybe it's not so true. Maybe, you know, and I'm not a great one for New Year's resolutions, but the best resolution I ever gave myself was monitor your self-talk. Mm. What words do you say when you're talking to yourself? Mm. And, it, you know, it took me some time, but like changing that from, oh, you're such a clumsy person, or like, oh, you failed again. God, you're such a loser. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that didn't go the way you wanted it to. Oh, well, okay. Mm. You know, and just changing that tone of voice, because you use it hundreds of times a day not even thinking about it so when you listen to that when you take that take that pause to listen to what you're saying to yourself and again you know you can say would i say this to my best friend no of course you wouldn't i mean in england you would (laughs) (laughs) as part of the english culture again i had to kind of unlearn a little bit because it's it's very you know it's it's a very kind of cruel and mocking culture in a lot of ways um and that's how that's how you express you that you like somebody you're mean to them <laughs> that's just one of those messed up things that you you get to learn so that yeah it's th- those voices in your head you know that that are just coming out of this rational brain it's like they're not it's not necessarily rational and it's not the truth absolutely and i love how you mentioned you know, teasing each other is kind of how you show each other affection. That is how it's like in Malaysia as well. And I didn't grow up liking that. I didn't grow up enjoying that. And um, no, I think a lot of people don't particularly enjoy it, you know, and and they might kind of brush it off because it's culturally acceptable. But I believe I... I'm a very sensitive person. I'm a highly sensitive person. And these things impacted me a lot growing up. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, that is how it is. That is how it is in, mm-hmm. in many of our cultures. But it's not necessarily what is working, though, is it? No, it's, it's a distancing technique. You know, like it, when you do it, like you're, you're creating a little distance, you know, I think. You're not, you're not opening yourself up. You're saying, no, I, I can say this thing, you know, and you know that I don't really mean it, but actually it's not, it's not a very nice thing, you know? So there's, there's this is kind of push pull thing, which I don't, you know, isn't very helpful. You know, it's not sincere. And it goes back to the idea of intimacy, mm-hmm. which, which you mentioned earlier. It's about what is intimacy? You know, what, our idea of it is that it is sexual and you know a little bit it, it, it's okay let's let's be real that's usually the image that comes up when we say you know getting intimate with someone or intimacy but you know on my journey I've learned that intimacy is not that it is having your heart wide open as you mentioned and and one I, I read somewhere online, into me you see. And that is a nice way of thinking of intimacy. Can you see my heart? Can you, you know, when I when I interact with you, do you see my heart? 
and it does keep people at a distance um when we you know re re when we use these methods of connecting or i don't know it's, you don't really connect when you when you when you tease and when you you know use and sarcasm is still okay i guess but <laughs> but Ooh, well, <laughs> <laughs> a problem with sarcasm growing up okay yeah. okay mm -hmm. fair mm. a lot of yeah a lot of no's no a lot of no's a lot of a lot of ways of connecting that does not work that do not work for for people for sure and yeah and it's it it prevents intimacy and we learn this as adults and or we learn this as children and we repeat it as adults and and nobody really knows each other you know at the end of the day we don't know each other at the end of the day what do we really need in relationship what do we really need to be happy we don't talk about that but instead we you know we think that these surface level interactions work and then we have a laugh about it and then every, everyone's like happy but i knew growing up that that was not that did, that did not work for me and so you know my friends when they speak to me they're like Well, every time we talk to Yasmin, we're talking about something deep. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's just, it's, yeah. It's because it's not done a lot in in our society. But that's what I need. I need to talk about feelings, or I, or rather, I need to talk about things that matter a bit more, I guess. And so, mm -hmm. but that's who you are. Who you are, and you're getting to express yourself. Yeah, and a lot of ways of 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 connecting just did not work for me. And you know, when I created pause, I knew that that might be an issue. I knew that the topics, you know, the things I'd be talking about, and um, the language I'll be using, it would be a bit difficult for some people to 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 understand but you know i'm pretty sure it would resonate with maybe one percent or zero 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 point zero 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 one percent of people but but it was so important you know when i when i launched pause it felt like a again going back to what you said creative expression i really needed to express myself creatively to feel happy and this was it and this was one of it um launching pause made me very happy i felt like i could express myself emotionally how i wanted to um and you know it goes back to the idea of being you know of mirroring um i didn't really have you know individuals in my life i had one my grandfather he was amazing mm -hmm. My grandfather was really. I, I, I saw the picture. The picture that you posted. Yeah, that's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. He was excellent. He passed away in twenty seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen. But you know, 
when my parents were um, busy working I was I was left with my grandfather a lot as a as a I think four when I was four onwards or maybe three onwards I can't remember but I remember spending a lot of weekends with him and there was this very calming thing about him and as I grew older I realized it was because he was just so emotionally expressive mm-hmm. he was just very um he and, and and intimacy you know he was good at communicating and um he just you know with me I know you know grandparents and their grandchildren is a little bit different because you know my <laughs> my my dad would say oh your grandfather was a very scary man when he when he was raising <laughs> me <laughs> but yeah with me he was nothing like that <laughs> and so he was I would say the the the, the one person in my life that really gave me permission to be this person you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's so important and, and I feel that a lot everyone needs that at least one person that gives them permission if they do if they can't give it to themselves that one person who gives them permission to be themselves and that was my mirror he was my mm-hmm. mirror and we need that we need you know as humans we need that in life and you know going back to the science of it it actually improves our well-being when we see someone and they're mirroring how we're feeling and for you it was your um it was your community at the zen center um and for me it was you know my grandfather and you know some friends i met in my in my in my mid 20s mm-hmm. you know who gave me the permission to you know to express myself how I wanted to feel the feelings I needed to feel and to think the thoughts I I often thought about or to think you know to go for the desires I wanted um yeah kind of that approval which I couldn't give myself um most of my life but Shundo I really you know in the spirit of this um, podcast you know heart to heart you know going back to you know your your history your your time at the zen center and i just want you to share a little bit more about you know your own healing journey your own personal journey and i know you mentioned a little bit um at the beginning of, of this of this chat, um, you know, very briefly, but you know, all of us, we, I think we need a bit of, you know, we need to, we need, to, we need to know that we all struggle. I mean, we all have a form of suffering. We all, we all suffer one way or another in life, and and um, and yeah, and we just need to find the right the right people to kind of remind us that we're not alone you know essentially and Mm -hmm. so if you could just you know tell us a little bit about about how you found this kind of this kind of way of life and and um you know meditation mindfulness all of it like what led you there and I know you briefly mentioned it at the beginning but you know what was that experience like for you um and, and, and how has it been like for you since then, I think, would be... Mm-hmm. Yeah, please, tell us. 
Oh, well, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot <laughs> of different strands there. Um, was as I said before, I was always very active, and so actually sitting down to meditate was really not not you know something that <laughs> was came naturally to me. So it's actually, and plus the physical thing, like actually sitting cross-legged, like because I was a runner and a cyclist, sitting cross-legged wasn't very easy. So it took it took a while to actually get into that. Um, but being alone with my own thoughts wasn't a problem. And I know some people come to meditation and suddenly like just just getting to listen to their own thoughts is terrifying because they've, they've never given themselves time to do that. I mean, I was I was always kind of an introvert who spent a lot of time alone. Um, so I didn't didn't have that same issue. Um, so to begin with, it was it was really just a process like just being familiar with myself and the one thing I do want to say, which helped me a lot as I developed my meditation practice is that remember that meditation is a physical practice. So you've, you've talked a number of times about, you know, this, this kind of cellular level. And it's like, this is what we need to get in touch with. Like we, we spend so much time in our heads, but we, you know, a lot of times we forget that we actually have a body and our body is expressing and storing everything that's going on. Um, and so, one of the reasons that you know a traditional cross-legged meditation posture was kind of developed because it gives you this stability and this kind of uprightness um <clears throat> and physiologically there's a lot of different things happening you know which they're now kind of measuring like you know the vagus nerve is kind of doing this with mm-hmm. you know the lung measurements you know it's amazing what your breath actually does for mm-hmm. you physically when you sit down and slow down and so all this stuff is happening and then what do you, you know, you get to feel it. So today I was, I was doing a meditation at lunchtime and I just noticed, you know, oh, I'm kind of holding a little bit here, you know, and I don't know what I was holding for, you know, um, but I was just practicing letting go of that. And actually, you know, interesting, this part of the body, like I spent a lot of time paying attention to like my rib cage. It's, you know, like, I think most of us go through life with armor plating around our hearts, you know, mm-hmm. energetically, you know, it's, and again, you may not be aware of it, but that's kind of how it is. And for me, you know, as, as I leaned into meditation, being a physical practice and kind of learned what my body was doing, there's a kind of moment where I kind of started lifting up my collarbones, you know, expanding the chest and just opening up the heart. And it felt incredibly vulnerable, mm. but I was in a meditation hall. So like, it was totally safe. You know, I knew I was safe. And so you get to kind of practice Practice is kind of like, Oh, can I, can I open up? Can I be vulnerable? And then you see how much you're protecting and you see how much you're storing, you know, and there was a lot of kind of physical, Kind of releases that happened when I was doing a lot of intensive meditation, you know, which who knows what that was from, you know, what I was holding, but like just feeling it let go was just incredible and incredible powerful. And, you know, the, the thoughts that arise from who knows where, mm. and suddenly your whole body just goes soft and like, ah, mm. yeah. You know, like it's it's not as hard as I thought it was. Oh, I mean, not that it's not hard, but it's like, oh, I don't have to worry about that, or maybe I don't have to worry about that. And maybe this thing that I've been, you know, trying to figure out all my life, maybe that's not such a big problem. And there's something about it's so it's it's a many fold. So you start with like you know maybe you just start with the contents of your head. Like what is going on in your head? Like oh I'm a kind of person who like worries a lot, or I'm a kind of person who gets angry a lot. 
and you deal with that and then you start trying to accept it and then as you accept it you know your body kind of feels different and as your body feels different you know you can just start to open up and soften all the way around and then and I say this again as, as a strong introvert as a lot of people who go into meditation I think are introverts but I was you know I'm right off the, the introversion scale it's like noticing how much I'm protecting myself and especially in interactions with other people. Like some people I'm okay opening up to, but most people are like, no, no, go away. I don't, don't want your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a huge transformation for me when I kind of realized, oh, I'm just trying to protect myself. What am I trying to protect? What am I protecting? And again, I can say this, you know, as, as a strong, able-bodied white man, you know, that I didn't have to feel kind of physically threatened by people, but, you know, energetically threatened by people sure all the time but then it's like oh well what am i worried about here and then you know even if i don't like the person still trying to open up to them energetically and so that was a kind of a transformation that happened for me and not worrying so much about what was going on in my head or whether i'm a good person or a bad person or you know all that kind of stuff like a lot of it just kind of melts away and mentally and physically um and so even you know the things <laughs> that things i was talking about like the the writing and taking photographs and music you know i didn't have the same need to be doing that. i still enjoy doing them i didn't have the same need to be doing that to kind of express myself as a person because i just got to be the person i was without worrying about it mm. um that I think that probably sounds very convoluted, but it's, it really is just, and it, you know, it goes back to that inmost request. It's just like going in there and instead of like it being some kind of hidden treasure that you can't access, it's just, it's there. It's just sitting there and you can just tap into it more and more. And because, mm-hmm. because you've had that experience for me, because I had that experience of myself and knowing that everybody else has their own individual set of issues and problems and struggles that's where the, you know the compassion starts to flow you know you realize that everyone is just a human being who's trying to figure out what's going on and trying to figure out what it means to be a human being and so you know and because i i've had amazing experiences from meditation i want other people to get that benefit too and like to have that kind of mindful approach which is not you know it's it's sitting on a cushion sure but it's also like mindfully driving your car and not getting upset at the driver in front of you you know and this mindfully interacting with people in the store for me it's mindfully thanking the printer when the printer prints what i wanted to print because <laughs> yes. when the printer doesn't want to print i get really angry at printers you know like that's the thing for me i get angry with printers like why aren't you printing yeah when the printer prints it's like thank you printer i'm really yes glad you print. absolutely and just those tiny little pra- things that we can practice during the day Make a huge difference to like our own well-being and everybody else's well-being. Yes, I do that a lot. I I say thank you to my car. I say mm-hmm. thank you to the little things that just work out. You know, over the mm-hmm. course of of the day, it never really was like that before. But <clears throat> I think when you you know when you when you're a happy person, I don't know, when you're, you just tend to notice the little things that work instead of mm-hmm. the things that don't. And um, that goes for you too, like saying thank you to yourself when you do things, you know, 
yeah, mm. I, I made the bed, you know, or yeah, I, I put my clothes away, or yeah, I did the dishes, you know, rather than like, oh, God, I haven't done that, oh, no, I'm so, you know, instead of just saying all the negative things, like say all the good things about yourself that you managed to do, you know, that's a really great practice that we can all take on. Absolutely, and I'm really not great at that, or rather, I, that can be improved um, on a very on a on a very personal level. To the point, you know, I forget to say good things to myself. To the point that I, I have to put sticky notes around my room, especially on my bathroom mirror, there's like 150 sticky notes in my bathroom mirror reminding me to be, at, they are reminders really, you know, they have really nice soothing words on them because I mentally f- just do not remember them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I could go on and on about, about this really. I mean, this conversation could be a, three four five hour conversation we could mm-hmm. touch um yeah on so many things but you know maybe we'll save it for another time i would love to unpack more and more things i'm with you but um yeah um you know just really quickly going back to like this self-compassion practice it's not easy for me on a personal level and so I do talk about that a little bit in my work um yeah you know I can imagine if it's difficult uh I noticed at the start of the pandemic it's difficult for me to remember nice things and when I do read these nice things on my bathroom mirror I immediately feel calm and kind of forget about that worry I had like five seconds ago five minutes ago and I and I and I realize I get out of my head and I'm just like grounded again, you know, just from telling yourself a kind word. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, it, it diffuses your your fight or flight or, or freeze uh, response. Just being again, you know, as you've mentioned, loving yourself, that that loving person in your head, just yeah, that really helps. But Thank you, Shindo. I would love to talk about more and more things. Um, but this is this is uh, where it will um, end for now. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. We can pause there. <laughs> yes, you can pause here. Exactly. Um, but please uh, tell us um, where can we find your work online and. Um, of course, I will add all this, you know, in the description later. But yeah, so where can we find your work online, Shindo? Um, I've recorded for different apps. Um, Simple Habit was the first one that I started working with. Um, I now work with an app called Hello Core, which is um, kind of mind, mindful and meditation trainer. Um, I teach at Within Meditation, which is a live kind of meditation studio that used to be a real studio and now it's an online thing Mm. um, where you can sign up for a class and each class is recorded so even I'm kind of giving the class live and there's people on the class live if you sign up for the class you can pick up the recording at any time 
uh, in the next few weeks. So you don't have to be in the right time zone to, to be able to do that. Although I did have, actually, I did have somebody who was in the Philippines on one of my classes. Again, it was kind of Wednesday evening, my time and Thursday morning, her time, but you know, she, she made a point of tuning in. Um, I have my own blog, which is mostly just then quotes. Um, and I'm on Instagram doing the same thing, uh, mostly just then quotes. And then on the, on the side, kind of some, some little things I enjoy doing in life. Um, I'll be teaching a class at the Zen Center, San Francisco Zen Center in January um, on Suzuki Roshi, and I, I do teach there from time to time, so you can find me there. I think that's it. I, I you know, I do whatever I can, and you know, I, I do mindful hiking in San Francisco for people that live there as well, because it's just a thing that I enjoy doing, and it's great to offer it to people, and San Francisco is a beautiful city for doing that. Um, yeah, so I, I just try to help. Yeah, I want to start a mindful walk um, down the road, uh, you know, at pause. Because yeah, I think that that's an that's an amazing um, way to get in touch with with the present moment and, and your body. So exactly. hopefully, hopefully down the road very soon. Thank you so much, Shindo, and hopefully, thank you for inviting me. We get to have another conversation like this. You can find our work online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pause Universe. And you can read our blog and learn more about who we are at mind-pause.com. <laughs>